0: Welcome to the Campbell Conversations. I'm Grant Reher. My guests today are two people who have been central to some turnarounds in economic development and housing in the city of Oswego in recent years, and they're here with me to discuss those efforts and the lessons that come out of them. Paul Stewart is the founder of the Oswego Renaissance Association, and which he also directs, and is also a psychology professor at SUNY Oswego. Billy Barlow is the mayor of Oswego and is currently finishing up his second four-year term. He's also vice president of public affairs and system development at Oswego Health. Mayor Barlow, Professor Stewart, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad to have both of you. And Paul, I'll start with you as the founding director of this organization. I think our listeners are pretty familiar with the standard narrative of a uh, rust belt city decline, which obviously has hit Syracuse and Utica and Rochester and Oswego too. But is there anything, um, specific or unique to the case of Oswego or Oswego's history that led you to want to form the Oswego Renaissance Association back in 2013?
1: Well, there's nothing specific about Oswego per se that led me to form the association we have in common what you described, that sort of slow motion decline over 40 years, w- what led me to form the association was I didn't think that decline was acceptable, nor did many of my uh, colleagues and friends. And so in that respect, uh, w- we knew something had to change back in the 2012, 2013 timeframe.
0: Okay. And, uh, and, and, and was there something about that time that sort of, pushed you over say I'm going to do something I'm going to do something actually organizational about this to try to to try to help turn this around
1: well sure I mean I mean almost everybody knows during that time the city had been in a decline phase and it had become particularly acute um in the late 20 aughts you know and I think in 2008, uh, myself and my partner bought a house uh, in Franklin Square, and we were investing our lives into it, and, but all around us, things seemed to be degrading, and, and we started to ask, can we continue to do this if, if the whole neighborhood's going to go down? And so that kind of was like it became it was a personal question and then led to larger questions about the whole city.
0: Okay. And I want to get in a little bit later into actually how the association works, but Mayor, I wanted to turn to you just on this background on Oswego. So is there anything you'd want to add to what Paul said about specific to Oswego or things that our listeners should know and understanding the context for this effort that we're about to discuss?
2: Well, I think what's important to realize if you're, especially if you're an elected official, but for anybody who cares about their community is, I think, Um, it's easy to, when you think about economic development, it's easy to think about cutting a ribbon or new construction, a new building, uh, old downtown building being rehabbed. But at the end of the day, the biggest economic asset a community has, the biggest economic driver is the quality of neighborhoods. And that was something that, uh, the Oswego Renaissance Association and and Paul pointed out. And, uh, and as we'll get into in a little while. Uh, Is proven to be correct over these last 10 to 15 years. So um, when you restore old neighborhoods, you uh, instill confidence in homeowners and potential buyers, uh, um, that behavior is contagious and it spreads throughout the community as as I'm sure Paul will detail in in a little while and how that strategy actually works. So, you know, new buildings, cutting ribbons, it's nice, but at the end of the day, neighborhoods is, is really what drives the local economy.
0: Okay. Well, let's let's get some better sense then of how this organization works. So, Paul, how does I'm gonna start calling it the ORA because Oswego Renaissance Association, yeah. it sounds great. It's a little bit of a mouthful. So from now yeah. on, ORA. Uh, how does the ORA work and 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 where does your funding come from?
1: Well, the ORA, um, gets funded by the Richard S. Cinnamon Foundation and multiple local uh, businesses and sponsors. Um, And we have been involved in a strategy uh, for the last decade now, it's our 10th year, uh, where we focus on what are so-called middle neighborhoods. These are neighborhoods that are not your best neighborhoods by any stretch, but they're also not the most blighted neighborhoods, they're in between. And the rationale is that in those neighborhoods, you still have an opportunity to leverage its potential. And the cost of restoring that neighborhood pales in comparison to what it would cost if we wait till it tipped, right? So we work from these middle markets outward. And so while the traditional experience for people is looking at creeping blight headed their way loss of owner occupancy degraded public streets sort of slowly making their way to their neighborhood but we turn that we turn that upside down and we start investing with neighbors in those middle neighborhoods so you have a spiraling um improvements in the physical and social capital of that neighborhood, the, the, the beautification of that neighborhood, it starts to actually spread outward. It's contagious in the opposite direction. And so geographically, we have a unique approach that's not typically the approach most people think of when they do community development. And, and the other thing I think that's critical is that the majority of resources we leverage comes from the neighbors themselves. You know, we offer um, they're relatively small amounts of money. We, we'll say, look, we will grant you dollar for dollar um, up to a thousand dollars out of our pocket per house uh, to every neighbor on a block um, to make exterior improvements. Um, as long as it's visible from the street, but the rule is you have to recruit at least five households on your block to form a cluster. Oh. And, right. And typically because the grants are competitive, you'll have 10 or 15 houses apply. And the, the the really interesting thing is that what we're leveraging, as Mayor Barlow said, is actually long-term confidence. Is when neighbors start to realize that not only are they investing, but their neighbors are also investing, they see a real potential for that. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as it snowballs.
0: That is interesting. And you also get I imagine neighbor and peer pressure sort of working for you, in a good Correct. way, right? Because you're 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 looking at each at each other. Okay, interesting. And so so you have this money. It comes from donors and a foundation, and it's a like a matching system then, matching yeah. dollar system, okay yeah. for these kind of exterior improvements. Yep. So, uh, Mayor Barlow, describe the impact that you think Ora has had on the city and the area. How, how have you experienced this?
2: it's it's hard to really uh to it's hard to even talk about without underselling it um as paul mentioned earlier i actually born and raised in oswego i went to school out in arizona state and uh went out there in 2008 i returned in 2013 nothing good happened in oswego between 2008 and 2013 or 2013 and the the first positive thing that put oswego back on the right track was paul creating the oswego renaissance association and um starting in one small area in the city and slowly growing outward and into uh different areas of the city it was really the first spark that that put oswego back on the on the right course and then uh city government as often happens was a few years behind but ultimately began to assist Uh, the ORA and their uh, mission. Um, And I'll say in 2013, you could have driven around the city and you would have been hard-pressed to find a neighborhood that anyone would have wanted to live in. Now, uh, 2023, you can drive around and it's hard to find an area where you wouldn't want to live. It really uh, has taken off from just one condensed area into the entire neighborhood. I mean, we. The, I often joke with the code enforcement department at City Hall. Uh, if I see them at City Hall, I'll say, do, "Do you have any work to do?" And uh, you know, sometimes they say, "You know, that everyone is compliant, and uh, you know, we're just finishing up paperwork." And it's it's true. Uh, you know, it's you're hard pressed to find uh, a few properties now that um, really detract from from neighboring uh, properties. So uh, it's smart strategy that's paid off and the and the city continues to to reap benefits from it.
0: Yeah, I have to say uh just as an outsider perspective and I I've been doing this program that you know the station is based in Oswego there in a building in SUNY Oswego and and uh and I've been driving back and forth in this time period that we've been talking about and I remember you know in 2000 Nine 2010 going up there and thinking wow you know in a bad way wow and and then just the last time i was up i think to do an election night uh coverage you know it, i had the same impression so it yeah it's it's noticeable i'm grant reher you're listening to the campbell conversations on wrvo public media and my guests are oswego mayor billy barlow and suny oswego professor paul stewart and we're discussing the oswego renaissance association so uh, I want to put this question to both of you, and maybe Mayor Barlow, start with you on this one. And it is a it is kind of a more general sense of this context, and I want to bring it out to the whole area of central New York. And this is something – I just mentioned things I've noticed since 2010, but this is something that has struck me as an outsider coming in 30-plus years ago now and then now living in central New York. And I've, I've spoken on this program about it. A few times to people like um, the writer, Sean Kirst, for example, we've talked about this, but it seems to me there there's a kind of a pessimism or a fatalism, maybe even sometimes people call it an inferiority complex about this area that comes through. In addition to the real affection and real loyalty that people feel, it's like a sense that things are never going to quite work out or something else is going to leave or you know, it's and. Is that you're you're in Oswego and Mayor Barlow? Am, is this am I tapping some part of the psyche here when I say that?
2: I think you're absolutely right. We're kind of pessimistic or negative by nature, but I will say it's is somewhat turned around the last uh, five to eight years. I you know and and a lot of that is because people are now seeing results. I I think in Oswego particularly, but I think it's probably um, more more common than not, uh, the public hears ideas, they hear concepts, they see renderings, the government conducts these studies and analysis and talks about what could be. Rarely does it ever actually happen in front of your eyes in the real world. And, you know, uh, we've had a great run these last, uh, this last decade or so where um, not, and I'm not just talking about city government, but whether it's Zuni, Oswego, the ORA, city government, we've said things and then we've followed it up with reality. Uh, and I think the public has come to expect that now when city government shows a rendering of something, it's actually going to happen versus sitting on a shelf and it's something people talk about what could have been years from now. So um, mm-hmm. you're right, there's there's definitely a, a pessimism or a doubt, um, but you know, Oswego's shown what confidence and positivity can do i think they trust uh, their government now and um there's a lot of partners uh, working together to move our area in the right direction and it's re- it's certainly uh refreshing and uh, it's it's a change from from what we've been accustomed to the last 30 or so years
0: and 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 paul sort of a similar question to is that something you have felt and do you feel like ORA is, you know, is that is that part of the satisfaction that you get is participating in something that may be changing that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I, I understand that the sort of <clears throat> the pessimism you're talking about, I think to some extent, you know, there's kind of a, I don't know if I would use the word cultural trauma, but there, you know, regional mm-hmm. trauma, when you go through just decades of decline, that is a understandable ethos, or <laughs> if, if you will. Um, but I think what's been missing is I think there, ha- we are too used to waiting for the state or some outside force to make the change for us. And one of my favorite sort of things to tell people is no, nothing is coming to save your town. Nobody is coming to save your town. If you want to save your town, you have to do it. And what I think is very special about what's happening in oswego at multiple levels is we have found ways to leverage the 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 spirit and 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 the resources the time and the energy and the money of of the residents here and and essentially crowdsource revitalization and once people see those efforts begin to pay off it becomes easier and easier to build on that momentum
0: Mm. yeah you're listening to the Campbell conversations on WRVO Public Media. I'm Grant Reher, and I'm talking with SUNY Oswego Professor Paul Stewart, the founding director of the Oswego Renaissance Association, and Oswego Mayor Billy Barlow. And we've been discussing the work of that association. So we were talking about the turnaround both in oswego and 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 I think we're feeling it generally throughout the area. And obviously, if we're talking about this most recently, we have to talk about micron. and there was some, pessimism and skepticism when we were tossing around some of the numbers that were associated with Micron, but I think people are beginning to believe now. So, Mayor Barlow, speaking of this potentially huge development for Syracuse, I was curious, from your perspective further north, up in Oswego, how do you think it's going to affect things up in Oswego? Will it have a ripple effect that far out? What's your sense of this?
2: Well, first, I often tell my constituents um, that who are maybe pessimistic or doubtful of what may or may not happen with Micron. If even a quarter of what they're talking about happens, that is still larger than anything we've seen in this area recently. So there's a lot of reason to be uh, optimistic and uh, looking forward to to what Micron brings to the community. Um, as far as what Oswego stands to gain, I, I think obviously we're not in a, in a position being you know, probably a half hour or so away from the plant. We're not in a position to uh, benefit as much as close communities that are closer, but we are in a great position to see some benefits. And luckily, we've had this uh, great run of economic development and victories here in the last eight years or so. If Micron employees and and their families are looking for an affordable waterfront community with great neighborhoods, great community assets, assets, nice parks, a quaint downtown, and a, a tourism type uh, feel to the community, particularly in the summertime. Oswego is the place to be. And for a lot of these folks who may move from other areas into central New York for Micron, a 30-minute commute to work, if they're from a metropolitan area, it's <laughs> like cutting their commute by uh, 50%. So um, we're, we're in a great position. And luckily, we've had a successful eight years or 10 years or more to uh, to to be the community we are now. So I think we will see some uh, Micron employees opt to live uh, in Oswego. And, and a lot of that is uh, credit to the Oswego Renaissance Association, because when people look where to live and raise their family, they look at education, they look at access to health care, and they look at the quality of neighborhoods. And uh, we're excelling in Uh, Most of those areas. So uh, I think we're in a good position.
0: And so, Paul, there's something that you've mentioned a couple of times now. You mentioned the phrase social capital. You mentioned the idea that, you know, no one's coming to save the town. You have to be the one to save the town. That's right. And there's a puzzle that I've always had as a political scientist about effective leadership that this particular case speaks directly to. And that's the, the relative roles. Uh, And the relative importance and and even sort of the order in which they occur of of grassroots activity and kind of leadership from I don't know if I like the phrase bottom up, but, you know, the, the base level out maybe is a better way to say it as the driver. And then individual leadership, like the kind of leadership that you, Paul Stewart, have the impact that you have made or the impact that Mayor Barlow has made. In the confidence that the city has and in the confidence that people have in the government. I don't know if you have thought about this and your experience with the ORA, but do you have any insights on sort of what comes first or how they're related that, 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 that could give me some insight on that?
1: I, I've thought about that. I think quite a bit. I mean, my friend Chuck Marone from Strong Towns has a, a phrase I really like when we talk about the difference between top-down strategies and bottom-up strategies. The ora is decidedly bottom-up. And let me clarify. A lot of times, strategies from the top, like a program that's been development for your for, that's been developed for your community or or some new. Uh, even sometimes new money that comes in, it, some, it's it's very orderly and structured and planned, but it's also dumb oftentimes. We, it's called orderly but dumb in that it doesn't necessarily take into account local conditions. And a lot of times um, what is being done for a community is occurring hundreds of miles away in terms of the decision phase. In contrast, when you're working at the grassroots level, like in the DNA of a community, you're on the ground there and we call it chaotic, but smart. The people that live in the community kind of know what their neighborhoods require because they're living in it every day. And so we can make much more, I think, directed decisions about what individual blocks need because we're in them and living in them. And and you, and when you empower blocks to lead and neighborhoods to lead, you get they will pursue their interests in the way that that makes the most sense for them that's that's very powerful you know and in terms of social leadership the social capital leadership um you know you hit on another important point which is that for a community to work well to succeed it's it's sort of like a football team you're not going to execute your plays if you haven't if you don't know each other you don't have a a camaraderie there and you, you don't trust each other right so one of the things that we do is in the the, the the small granting programs that we're involved in it requires that neighbors work as groups and in the process they get to understand each other they know what their shared values are um and m- most of them realize we want our neighborhood to be a better place five years from now where we want to raise our kids etc etc so um that's and and then letting them lead, uh, it it's very much I think uh, on point for for where those neighborhoods need to go.
0: Mm. If you just joined us, you're listening to the Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media. I'm Grant Reher, and my guests are Oswego Mayor Billy Barlow and SUNY Oswego Professor Paul Stewart. Uh, so Paul, I want to yeah, I want to get the mayor in on this one, and I and before I do, I want to. I want to push you just a little bit on what you said. Hmm. And so a thought experiment here. Uh, Let's say Paul Stewart gets a job in uh, Chicago instead of Oswego. Uh, What happens? I mean, so it does need, I mean, you, you sketched out and you were very generous in spreading out the credit, but doesn't it need a spark? And weren't you that spark? I mean, this is the thing I, the puzzle that i struggle with
1: is that for me or the mayor here
0: for you that's for you paul stewart (laughs) no i'm putting paul stewart on the spot here
1: (laughs) well no it's critical you you don't you don't want you never want the success of any movement to depend on a single individual because if they get hit by a bus tomorrow you know that's a problem so what you what you want to be able to do is build the leadership of the residents you 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 have so that what you eventually do is you you make it normative, that blocks, of course, people paint their houses every seven to 10 years, of course, everyone mows their lawn, of course, people want to live here and maintain their homes, because it's, it's now become healthy and normal to do that. So in many ways, we're changing a culture that outlives any one individual, right? The second thing I want to emphasize, and I know that Uh, the mayor would agree with this is people think that the ORA is about like me and this organization. It's not, it's an application of a philosophy that says, if you as a community want to thrive, if you want to grow, you have to invest in yourself and build on your assets rather than being focused solely on what's broken and what's wrong. You have to identify what is it that we're good at? How can we get better at those things? That's a philosophy. That's not an individual. And one of the things that I think uh, among many that, that I have in common and with the mayor here is, is he has the same approach. He wasn't coming to office to say, oh, well, here's all the problems I'm going to fix. He pursued a vision that built on our strength. So I just want to emphasize that part of this is changing a culture to be focused on building on what's working rather than trying to fix what's not.
0: Mm. And, Mayor, we've got about uh, three minutes or so left, but I know you want to get in on this. So go ahead. I What, what are your thoughts on this? puzzle of leadership and 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 Paul and you and 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 us we go here
2: well we first i want i want to make something extremely clear is that i view the ora as the lead in neighborhood restoration and our mentality and strategy at city hall is not to try to be the leader let ora lead and our job is to assist as much as possible and that assistance goes beyond anything financial or Uh, Just Paul and I getting along personally, It, it actually means focus at the ORA, what they call target zones. And the city government not only assists in terms of code enforcement, you know, we strategically deploy code enforcement to work in those target zones and certainly around the perimeter of those target zones to assist and supplement their investment with strong code enforcement. But also look when we decide which roads to pave. Uh, where to replace sidewalks, where to make sure uh, the street lights are in working fashion. Uh, We try to work and concentrate investment, city investment in the ORA target zones. And we do that because it's easy. uh, If you take a picture in, let's just say February, ORA comes in, investment, they get homeowners all on the same page to beautify their homes in the neighborhood, and then take a picture in October and the neighborhood went from a C plus to an A minus, that's easy to show. And that uh, that progress is contagious uh, versus letting you know do their thing and city government does their thing. The uh, second component to that um, is Paul and I can have the same opinion and take the same action on any given topic without even talking to each other. And uh, that's what a true partnership looks like. You know, I, I can, when we go to make a decision in the city, I can think in the back of my head, would Paul Stewart and the Ora agree with this? And is this in line with their strategy? And uh Paul can be very uh, uh aggressive because he's so passionate. And I often tell department heads, if you know, I I tell department heads when Paul Stewart asks for something, assume I'm asking for it, right? Because wow. you know it's it's coming from the right place. It's not to benefit Paul personally. Why would Paul care about? something in Breitbeck Park. He's asking for a reason because there's a strategy and a method behind the madness. And, you know, my job is to empower him, embrace the ORA as much as possible and let them lead. And we assist as much as we can because the strategy's right.
0: And Paul, we only have a second or two, so it's got to be a couple of sentences. Well,
1: so I want to follow up on that. And, and, and what, what we, talk to our neighbors about is if you lead and you show that you're going to invest it encourages the city to double down on your investments that's part of what billy just said
0: well we'll have to leave it there it sounds like in oswego smart chaos is working and it's nice to have a good story to tell that was billy barlow and paul stewart mayor barlow professor stewart thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The Campbell Conversations on WRVO Public Media, Conversations in the Public Interest.
2: The Campbell Conversations, Conversations in the Public Interest is hosted and produced by Grant Reher, engineered by Tom Fazio, assistant producer is Jacqueline Witwicky, and the program is edited by Mark Lephoner. The Campbell Conversations is a joint production of the Campbell Public Affairs Institute at Syracuse University and WRVO Public Media. To learn more about the program and hear previous interviews, visit WRVO.org slash Campbell Conversations.